everybody, it's John. Thanks for listening. Hey, last week's episode with Dr. Robert from the Blow Monkeys in less than a week became our third most popular episode, which I'm really excited about because they're one of my favorite bands of all time. So again, if any of you stuck around and you're new to the podcast, we just want to welcome you. And we hope that you enjoy the stories, the the lesser told stories from the lesser known bands that are just as good as the big bands. We hope you enjoy those stories. And if you do, I have a huge favor. This is a challenge I'm issuing to every listener. You know, I was looking today, I listened to the Eddie Trunk podcast. Most of you may know who that is. He's very prominent figure in the hard rock and heavy metal world. He hosts that metal show. He's a radio disc jockey. He's been around forever and ever. He has a very, very popular music podcast. And I was noticing on iTunes that he has about a hundred... 104, I think, reviews for his podcast, which we only have like 10 because we're new and we're just getting started. And I thought, what if we got more reviews than Eddie Trunk? Or what if we got about as many as Eddie Trunk? So I'm issuing everyone within the sound of my voice a challenge. Please go on iTunes, find The Hustle, and write us a review. I've said this before. I don't care if it's a good review, if it's a bad review. Better ones are obviously nice, but I would be happy to take the constructive criticism if you have any. Please write us a review. We're trying to launch this thing. Tell your friends about it. We want to get more and more people who just love music stories to pay attention and find this podcast. Okay, this week's guest is Walter Ray, who was the lead singer of an alternative rock band in the late 80s called King Swamp. They had one minor hit called Is This Love that's playing right now. You may or may not recognize it. You probably had to have been pretty keyed into alternative rock at that time. King Swamp had a lot of promise. Walter has an incredible voice and their guitar player was Dominic Miller. He's been with Sting for like 20 years. He also played with Level 42, Phil Collins. The guy's a virtuoso. He's been around forever and he's very highly respected and acclaimed. And then the other members of the band had been in the band Shriekback, which is one of those bands that I know the name, I've always meant to investigate, and I just never have. So I need to get on the Shriekback tip. But anyway, they put out two albums. One was really only widely distributed, and then they broke up. And Walter has been making a living ever since outside of the music industry. But he's got a project going on right now with some of those Shriekback guys that is very unique and very interesting, and he tells us all about it in here. Anyway, thanks for listening. Walter was so nice, so nice to talk to, and he actually didn't have a ton of time because he was barbecuing a chicken, which he tells me about in the interview. Walter called me from his home outside of London. Okay, well, Walter Ray of King Swamp, thank you for talking to me on The Hustle today. And I always kick these interviews off with a story about how I discovered the artist or maybe an anecdote or something. And I remember very distinctly seeing the video for Is This Love on, I don't think I ever saw it on MTV. I think I would see it on things like Night Tracks, which you probably don't know what that is. But no, no, the, never heard of Night Tracks. Okay, so in the 80s, there would be all these alternative video shows. And, and Night Tracks would be on Fridays and Saturday nights on one of the Turner TV stations, and they would play two to four hours worth of videos. And I remember seeing it on there, 
And I love that song. And so I had the cassette single of that. And I was thinking about this the other day. I probably owe you apology, an apology because I'm pretty sure I stole it. And <laughs> so you you might have missed out on the 10 cents that you would have made from me actually purchasing the Is This Love single. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure I stole it. So as the years have gone on, I've always thought, man, they were a great band. Whatever happened to them? Where did they go? And we'll just kick it off with the most obvious question. Where, Walter Ray, did you go after King Swamp? Well, King Swamp got dropped by the record label towards the end of 1990. And at that time, uh, half the band were living in the States and half were living in London. The, the closing months of the band had been really hard to get things working anyway. So I had two options open to me then. Well, I seemed to have two options. I went for a third option as it happened. Either to continue King Swamp with Steve Halliwell in London or to relocate to the United States and do something else. The the, the record label were, were quite keen for me to go out there and mm. do a, a solo thing. But exactly. we just had a kid. My daughter was born at the same time that King Swamp split up, so I wasn't about to up sticks yeah. and, and move. So I decided to kind of pursue my own solo career, which took me okay. quite a long time to get together, yeah. But did you pursue that in the States or back in the UK? No, no, I, I stayed in London, and oh. I was started working with a guy called Dave Ruffy, who was the drummer in a band called The Rut. You'll burn the streets You'll burn your houses But anxiety With anxiety Really? 
So where is this solo album? I mean, forgive okay. me if it should well, be can, obvious, uh, and I don't know. Uh, is it out there? You can buy it? I mean, it's available? I'm not sure. I've got, I've got about 500 copies in my attic. It's the same rain, the same pain, the same picture in the same frame. A cold glow of a smoldering heart. And it can't burst into flames, but then again it can't go out. It's a nightingale with a sore throat It's a dolphin in the Thames It's a wasted boat It's a telephone ringing in an empty house It's a motherless child Another wishful one is waiting in the wings To pick up where the last one put you down To dry your eyes and fashion your new crown Of gloves and steel strings You can say it's a good thing You can say it's a on Marketplace, and if you want to send me five quid or something, I'll post it yes, to you wherever you are. I will. I will. Yes. Oh, that's great. Okay, so, yeah. I wasn't sure if that actually even ever came out. Yes, or it if it came out yep. sort of, you know, in just certain spots of the world. Okay. So no, it, it was released in the States. It came out in the UK under the title Fox Gloves and Steel Strings, and it was repackaged and remarketed in the States just calling it steel strings. I think they thought that okay. sounded a bit more macho, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. It, yeah, it was available, and I don't know if it still is, but so I will send you a copy. <laughs> I would love that. I'm looking it up right now. I'm going to Google image this thing and see if I recognize it and didn't know I recognized it. Now, Dominic Miller has had a very successful career ever since. I mean, he's with Sting, has been for oh, a long time. Well, he left what, King Swamp to join Sting. Did Which, he really? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he, yeah, I first he, heard of him when he, uh, he was with Level 42 for a little oh, while, or yeah, maybe that's he played right. on one album or something.
That's right, yeah. yeah. Level 42, he also played with the Water Boys. Oh, oh nice one, the Water Boys. For a little okay. while. Yeah. And uh, in fact, that was the connection with the drummer, Dave Ruffy, because they played in the Water Boys together. And it was Dominic oh. that introduced me to Dave. And then, well, I ended up working with Dominic on, on the album. Yeah, yeah, Dom's done really well. I, I see him sort of every couple of years. You know, we coincide okay. in London and we get okay. together and have a laugh, you know. Yeah, good. Were you guys both just beginning when you started King Swamp? Or had you been sort of bouncing around the two of you in other bands, doing other things, and then King Swamp came later. Yeah, I'd been bouncing around on the sort of northern indie music scene. I went to Sheffield University as a student in 1977, and okay. I don't know if you know much about the history of British indie rock, but that Sheffield was a really cool place to sure, be back then. It sports some yeah. fantastic acts, some really original stuff like Cabaret Voltaire, oh, yeah. Human League, Human League, ABC, ABC, yeah, a lot of, absolutely I, some really I love great stuff. Fans still to this yeah. day, yeah. Uh, and uh, and then you know early eighties it was all the kind of stuff like New Order and Joy Division and the Smiths and the Cure and I was kind of part of that sort of scene. I I, I was with a band called the Junk. Tourist. He fills his head with 
watched. I thought they were amazing, brilliant band. I loved the politics and everything. To suddenly get a call from, oh, hi, it's Dave Allen here from Shriekback as, as well and Gang of Four. Wow. I've got a project together, you know, and uh, you're, someone's recommended that we should talk to you because we need a singer. Will you come down and listen to what we're doing and maybe you, you know, audition? And so yeah. at that time, the band that I was with, we were actually recording a second album but it, I wasn't very happy with the way it was going. In fact, I was very unhappy with the way it was going. Oh, and boy. for me, I thought, right, no, this is, this is great. My girlfriend, now my wife, had moved to London. I thought, right, no, this is it. I'm going to jump on that train. I'm going to go down there, meet these guys, and see what they're doing. And what they were doing was so different to what I was doing at the time, because, uh, as I say, the stuff that we were looking at was, was kind of folky, jangly, birds-type, Okay. Uh, indie stuff and the demos that they played me were real full on very American influenced rock you know it was like okay. somewhere between Led Zeppelin and In Excess you know sure. that kind of thing oh yeah funky you guys vibe. sound a lot like In Excess yeah and uh, yeah a funky vibe and, and some big guitars and stuff mm-hmm. and I just thought oh this just sounds like brilliant fun I'll tell you the track yeah. that sold it to me was uh, Louisiana Bride well I got demo of Louisiana Bright, I said, I can eat this up. Come on, get me in there. I'll go and sing this for you. And, and so I stayed down in London and we went into the studio and I cut vocals on the demos. And it just, you know, we just hit it off. It just, it, it yeah. just worked immediately. Wow. And, uh, yeah, wow. so that, yeah, that's how that one came about. Okay. Now, you see, I, I listened to that King Swamp album and it's so good. And it sounds just like the best of what was out there from an alternative rock perspective uh, in the late 80s. Yep. So I'm listening to it, even now to this day, I listened to this and I was like, why would you not make millions of dollars off of this album? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what more do you want? Every song on here, not just Is This Love, but Blown Away, I mean, the first three to four songs, you could yep. release all those and make them big hits. And yet I feel like that's a missed opportunity. You probably feel that way all the time, but I just... I listen to this and I'm like, it sounds like In Excess, who are gigantic. It sounds like so many of the other rock bands at the time. Why would you not make millions off of yeah. this thing? It's easy, but yet it didn't happen. I mean, I have, you guys had some success, but not to the level that I thought you deserved. How were you feeling at the time? I, I think we were surprised as well because we, 
loved what we were doing and we knew it sounded great you know we had you know, great musicians great producers and uh, engineers working on it uh-huh. Bob Clearmount and you know, did it mix the album and it sounded immense and it sounded great on the radio the videos were good and we were a really hot live band I guess you never saw King Swamp live but we were really no. we were very very good live band I think it was too much too soon. I think we should have taken our time. We should. We probably should have relocated to the West Coast and uh, toured up and down the West Coast, playing the colleges yeah. and just letting people know what we were doing. I think the mm. record label, in, it, there was a lot of money invested in the band, a huge yeah. amount of money. Really? I think, I think the fact that they didn't see a massive return on the first album, they thought, oh, we've got our fingers burnt here, better drop it and look at something else. So in a sense, I I think it was too much too soon. If we'd taken our time, if we'd done the touring, I think we could have built it up and sold a whole lot more uh, records. Yeah. When we connected up to start doing this, part of me always assumed that you were Australian. And the reason (laughs) being, well, the reason being is because you sounded like an excess and kind of in the same vein as Midnight Oil or Escape yep. Club. In the midst of my endless search, the best in life becomes clear. The rest just begins to fade by itself. First time in years When the love around begins to suffer And you can't find the love in one, one another Push away those bitter tears Bitter tears And I thought I was doing no So they had a similar, harder, alternative vibe that you guys had. And so I just probably assumed you were all kind of in the same melting pot over there in Australia. And you, obviously, total charismatic frontman with this powerful voice. I didn't realize that you were out of London. So there was a huge investment in that album. And was it bigger other places and just not hitting as strongly in the States? Or what was going on? No, it, it was more successful in the States than it was in the UK. In the UK, oh. no one was interested at all. Things were changing. If you think about it, I guess the big British rock band at that time, or alternative rock band, would have been the Cults.
Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. They, they, made, they, they made Sonic Temple, which was like a, a yeah. kind of retro. Why are you out there voting for the cult? Yeah, I brought, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a no-brainer. You're exactly it right. <laughs> yeah. It should have happened. Even at that time, the, the British music scene, especially the indie music scene, was moving towards a more, I suppose it was heading into that kind of Stone Roses, Happy Mondays yeah, yeah. kind of vibe. It's certainly just because we weren't fashionable. In the States, because we were a good live act, that's kind of all that matters, you know? If, yeah. if you can rock, yeah. it'll work for you. So did you guys ever play in the States? Did you yeah. tour the States or anything? What, did you do that as a headliner? Did you open for somebody? What was that like? We did. We headlined, uh, which you was did. a very expensive oh, process to try and oh, break a, a, you know, a relatively unknown up-and-coming band to yeah. go out and headline your own tour. And we were playing clubs and small theatres and colleges, and we were carting a lot of equipment with us and a big crew. Yeah, we, we, did, we I can't remember how many times we, we toured the States, but I just oh. remember it being a very different experience to, to, to playing in the UK. Well, that's a missed opportunity. You probably live with that all the time. I mean, do you ever <laughs> have any... Well, I, I mean, I, if I'm a fan, and I sit here and just think, what more do you want? You probably have similar feelings, right? Do you feel conflicted? Are you okay? Have you gotten closure on that period of your life? How do you... Yes. How do you look back on that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I realized it was a shame that King Swamp didn't become massive because uh -huh. you know, we, we were very good. And as you say, what's not to like? But after the band split up and, uh, you know, I had the option of going to the States and uh, I, I think maybe the record label had thoughts of turning me into something like Michael Bolton or something like that. <laughs> and at the time, right. that, didn't, that really didn't appeal to me at all. Yeah, so I, yeah. I kind of chucked that back down and went back into sort of indie world. And I guess, you know, if I had made that move, if I had gone out there, I might have made a success as a solo artist mm -hmm. or what have you. I, but I, I rather feel that if, if my life had gone that way, I might well be on my fourth wife by now and bled dry by divorce settlement sure. and, and probably with a nasty drug habit. So yeah. you know, I kind of reconcile myself to the fact that everything's kind of worked out fine. I've got a lovely yeah. family, you know, love the work I do uh, and the music I make. So everything's kind of worked out okay for me. Good, I'm glad. I think I mentioned this in an email to you. I didn't even know until recently that there was a second album. Hey, we control the nation. 
I found it on YouTube as a whole. The whole thing is on YouTube. So I've been listening yes. to it to kind of get up to speed. Did that just die a death, or what happened to the second King Song? It, it, it barely got released. Uh, did it even the, come out in the States? I think uh, the record label had spent so much money on the first album, the tours, the videos. Recording the second album was very expensive. And I think also one of the problems was the enthusiasm for the band was coming from the States, Virgin Records on on the West Coast. But the money for the band was coming out of London, and London couldn't see the return. So in a sense, maybe that politically, economically didn't make sense. So yes, the, the, the second album really was it just crept out it was released mm-hmm. but it never really had any kind of push behind it mm. oh that's too bad so how were you feeling when that was happening oh yeah, pretty <laughs> pretty pissed actually yeah yeah because yeah. you know we worked very hard on that album and you know now, now now when i listen to that album it's nowhere near as good as the first album. The first no, album just had a kind of freshness and a rawness mm-hmm. to it. Second album, you know, overproduced and everyone trying a bit too hard, I think. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, there are some great still songs on it. Absolutely. I still work with Steve, Steve Halliwell, who wrote all the songs yeah. for King Swan. He's always been a fantastic writer, not, not you know, a composer as well as a lyricist. He's, yeah. so, he's fantastic on that front, yeah. Back in those days, did you have a regular job? that you quit when King Swamp got signed or anything and then have to go back to? Or have you pretty much made your living as a musician, basically? No, I I had not been making my living as a musician until I joined King Swamp. I'd been working in, well, like so many musicians do, working in record shops. Okay. Yeah, I worked. Uh-huh. It, as I say, I lived in Sheffield, and mm-hmm. there were two really cool record shops there. I, I, I guess you'll know the film High Fidelity. Of course, yeah. Yep. So I yep. worked in the <laughs> British equivalent of that shop. Really? And that kind of musical snobbery, that one-upmanship, uh-huh. that, no, you don't want to listen to that, that's rubbish. No, yeah. I can't sell you that because that you don't want to buy right. that, it's not good for you. No, listen to the <laughs> Butthole Surfers album. That's gonna, that's righteous, that's going to put you right. You know, you get these uh, teenage girls uh, coming in and wanting Terence right. Kent's Darby, and you say, no, get out of here, you don't want that. No, <laughs> listen, listen to this New Order remix. <laughs> oh, so you're just force feeding like Gang of Four and Wire and that kind of stuff yep. on everybody, right? Yeah, like, yeah, don't touch stuff. that. Come over here. Okay, great. Uh, I could totally see that. All right. So what ha- when King Swamp came to an end, which I I don't know. Did you soldier on much longer after that second album kind of died? Not as King Swamp. After the second album died. As it were, we all went our separate ways, and as often happens when bands split up, everyone blames everyone else for the the problems, and we actually didn't really talk to each other that much for quite a long time, which is, you know, know, that kind of shit happens, and it's a shame, but there you go. And I ended up, well, suddenly not having any income stream, and and, Mm -hmm. so I was doing all sorts of odd jobs here and there, you know, I was painting and decorating, driving a a van, you know, I was... uh, yeah, or just anything, anything just to pay yeah. the rent, really. That carried on through working with Dominic, writing the, the album, releasing the album, because there, there you know, wasn't enough money in that to, yeah, to uh, right. pay the rent. So all right. that time I was doing bits and bobs and other things. Right. And I guess when, when I finally decided that, well, when my second kid came along and mm-hmm. I thought, actually, I'm not getting anywhere here. I'm yeah. certainly not getting any younger. I've got to do something. Right. I was 
really fortunate. I've been doing quite a lot of freelance work for a friend of mine that had a marketing company, and he said, oh, do you want a job? And I said, uh, yeah, that was your interview. <laughs> Start tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Nice. Oh, it pays to friends, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we still work together. And as it happens now, we are partners. So, yeah, we now have like a web development software digital company, yeah. Jeez. This is something I've always wondered. When King Swamp is done and you're kind of going back doing the bits and bobs, as you said, having to make a living, and maybe you're driving a van or or something, do you ever feel like just pointing at the person who's next to you and be like, do you know who I am? (laughs) <laughs> you realize that I was a rock star a couple of years ago, and I was, and I had like a, a couple of songs, and one of them was pretty big and really good, and I toured the states. Do you do you realize that? Do you ever? I mean, that, I don't know that I could fight the urge not to go around and just say that to everybody. You know. Well, the, the weird thing is, you kind of don't have to say because it, it creeps out, and, and people say, uh, "Say, you know, have you have you always done this?" I say, "Well, actually, no. I used to be in a band. Oh, really?" Yeah. And then you then you go on YouTube and you say, well, you know, that's me. They go, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, they go, oh, you've aged really badly, haven't you? you know? <laughs> How long yeah. ago was that? About 40 years ago. Right. Uh, so it okay. does happen. I'm not the sort of guy that's going to go, oh, of course. do you know who right. I am? Or, I know. Or, or, or as we jokingly say here, do you know who I think I am? Right. Okay. No, but it, it does come out, and quite often it, the people that I work with now, especially clients, when they get because people people Google you these days, don't they? They can, sure. Uh, sure. There's, there's no escape, and when they find these things, I, I get a kind of a, a, a giggly phone call and say, "Yep, yeah, we found you on the internet. Uh-huh. Did you really do? <laughs> yeah, that was me. <laughs> that was me. Yep. yep. Oh wow. There's a ton of things that sort of are in the periphery of your music career, but this is up that I still want to ask about, but this is up now. What have you then been doing as your primary source of income since the end of King Swamp? Tell me more about this business. Oh, okay. Well, so while I was doing the independent album and stuff, then I was just doing bits and bobs. Then my friend offered me a job working with his marketing company. And when I started out there, we were mainly staging events, you know, conferences okay. and satellite link-ups, that sort of thing. It was it was staging, it was PAs, it's lights, it's stuff that I kind of understood. As time has gone on, we've done less of that, and we're now totally web development, software development, database management, that sort of thing. So I, like so many other people, I, I spend eight hours a day staring at a computer. Mm-hmm. I'm not a developer. I'm not a technical guy. You know, I don't do code. I do a little bit, but I, I work with some very talented guys who are all, you know, a good 15 yeah. years younger than me, uh, if not more. Uh, I, I do sort of more client-facing stuff and, you know, running things. Okay, so, okay. Yeah. And you've been do- doing that for the same company ever since? For yeah, what, yeah, over yeah years? For, for the for the best part of twenty years, nearly. Yeah, wow. yeah. Okay, well, no, good. actually, yeah, nearly, nearly. Yeah, I could say we started about ninety-seven. So yes, it is coming okay. up. For that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And you're probably, I mean, way more successful as this business guy than you were as a rock star. I mean, well, I make more money. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I mean. Yeah. So this podcast is called the Hustle, and the reason is because artists like you have to, not that you're doing it so much anymore, because you thankfully found a great job and you've been successful at it, but so many artists have to hustle to get a, get a gig, to put out music, to, to, to market themselves, to secure their legacy, to 
have what they do and what they create rise above the noise of everyday life. It's yep. not easy, you know? And so money and finances and how you pay your bills is a common topic that we discuss in this yep. podcast. And we've obviously it, been very successful on the other side of rock, which is a yeah, huge blessing. Uh, yeah, I think I've been very lucky. And also what comes into to that, John, is family. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think a lot of times families get really badly disrupted by yeah. musicians who are, you know, self-obsessed, following some dream that perhaps they should have grown out of by now and realize that they have a responsibility for the people around them and the people that love them mm-hmm. rather than, you know, hacking away and making it, you know, making another album, making doing this, doing that, when really you, know, you take care of your family if you have a family. Yeah, yeah. And you've been married to the same woman all along, and how many? Yes, I have. Yeah, we got married just shortly after I joined King Swamp, and we've been together oh, ever wow. since. Yeah, yeah, Good yeah. For you, and man. two kids. Good yeah. for you. Thank that you. That is great. <laughs> it really is, as you know. You just said it. There's a lot of disruption and chaos in a rock star's life, and you've managed to avoid that and have a strong yeah. family. That's beautiful. Well, good. So tell me now, what's the story of you busking in Louisiana? Oh. Now, that is a total fabrication. That's a lie. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. I, no, I had this impression that maybe you hung, you stayed back in the States for a while and just sort of nomadically went around busking around in big cities, no? If only, John. Oh. That would make a brilliant story, wouldn't it? If, if that were the case, I'd write the book. You know? No, unfortunately, that, that, that isn't true. That was something that was made up by Virgin Records' PR department because they thought it sounded cool. Oh, so as a way to market you, and you coincidentally have a song called Louisiana Bride, yep. let's make up a story that Walter yep. Ray was busking in Louisiana. Yeah. Okay, okay, I get well, it. Well, part of it, I mean, uh, at, at the risk of blowing my own trumpet, was that a lot of people found it kind of hard to associate me. You know, I'm not a big, beefy guy, but uh-huh. I, had a, I did have a big voice. And they yeah. said, oh, how, how's this little guy um, right. got this big old voice? And, and, and I think they were trying to build that bit of mystique there, you know? Okay, okay. All right, that makes sense. Uh, what a funny story. So let's jump to now. You're in this group called Little Machine, yep. which has such a unique angle to it. You put music to poetry. Go gentle into that good night Old ancient bird and rave at close of day Rage, rage against the dying of the light The wise men at their end know Right, because their words had fought no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by crying, How bright their frailty. Might have danced in a green bay. Tell me how this happened. This happened about five years ago, having not 
spoken to Steve Halliwell since like 1993 or something. I found myself living quite close to him in South London. I bumped into him in the supermarket. And I thought, mm. how's this going to go? Because it was a little bit weird the last time we spoke, but okay. it was cool. And we started working together. I said, well, I'm, I'll try and do some gigs and stuff. He said, oh, I'll play with you. That's cool. And we, and we, we were writing songs together. He's always been a brilliant writer, and he had a great stack of songs. And would I sing them? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And Steve, after King Swamp broke up, he ended up being an English teacher. Oh, really? Yeah, teaching, you know, Shakespeare and poetry and the, the novels and stuff. And he had set a poem, a poem by a poet called W.B. Yeats mm -hmm. to music. He said, oh, will you stick a vocal on this? And yeah, this, this sounds really good. And all our friends who had kind of given our own songs, a bit of a lukewarm reception, were like, oh, this is fantastic, you should do more like this. So we ended up doing another couple, and the more we did, the more people liked it. And we ended up playing at sort of poetry societies and book launches, and then the literary festivals. And then mm -hmm. the weird thing was we got kind of sort of adopted by the poet laureate, a poet called Carol Ann Duffy, who's very famous in this country. I guess she's on the syllabus in the States as well, because she's okay. you know, very, very well-renowned. And with her support, we've actually grown the band quite a lot. And uh, the result is now we're working with her on a Christmas album. Really? Yeah, she's written a lot of poems about Christmas and the festive season, and she sure. said, well, you know, you should, why don't we do this, a Christmas album? That's, a, you know, a fantastic. So we're, we're sort of halfway through recording that at the moment, and we're going to put it out as a limited release uh -huh. this Christmas and hopefully, you know, do something bigger with it yeah. next year, you know. Wow. But, so how long has Little Machine been around then? Oh, Little Machine's been around about five years. Five years, okay. Yeah, about five years, and we're okay. a three-piece band. It's, it's myself and, and Steve, yeah. so I do most of the singing and play acoustic guitar. Steve just plays everything, so keys, okay. bass, mandolin, guitar, whatever. And we yeah. have a, a lead guitarist, a guy called Chris Hardy. He's got a background in sort of folk, jazz, and blues and stuff like that. You know, we're all old guys. We've been around the block yeah. so many times that we've yeah. got a kind of a, a Wikipedia of musical influences to, to draw sure. on. You know, there's a little bit of soul, a bit of jazz, a bit of blues, a bit of pop, you know, whatever seems to fit the poem, yeah, yeah. that's what we use. It's so fascinating. I've been listening to Little Madam. That's the name of your, ad of your album. No, uh, Ma uh, Madam Life. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Madam, Madam Life. Life, yeah. I've been listening to that a lot in preparation to talk to you. I have to admit, I was skeptical going in because I love your voice so much, and I love your voice paired with that rock and roll you did back then, you know? And so I thought, am I going to like this, or am I going to wish <laughs> that Walter was back in King Swamp again? You know what I mean? But actually, I really enjoyed it. That's and good. I really, I love the way that you sounded and the musicianship on at least the album I heard, was amazing. Thank I mean, you. So, yes, there's a part of me that still wishes you were out there fronting King Swamp because <laughs> that's what I selfishly want you to do, or a band like it. But I'm really glad you've got this outlet to put some excellent music out there. It couldn't be your full-time job, though, I'm guessing, right? Absolutely not, no. I think these days, even more than back then, it's very, very hard to make money making music. Well, um, I didn't know if you guys would sign up Little Machine to come play, like, every Shakespeare festival and every, you know, literary book fair. And There's a niche there. Now, 
maybe that's not how you want to do it. But if I if if I had John, that's in my exactly eyes, that's what we manager, would like to do. That would be really? you know, that that is very much what we would like to do. We've heard quite a few uh, of American friends say, yeah, you know, they would love this in the colleges. Yeah, you know, come and do Shakespeare and Shelley and fire and that would go yeah. down a storm. Yeah, especially with yeah. the kind of rock and roll background. So we're yes. just you know, waiting for that opportunity. You know, maybe we we'll get the publicity of the old uh, Christmas album, then then we get the opportunity to come and uh, tour the colleges or something. That would be brilliant. Well, that's so interesting because it's a no-brainer to me. I mean, there's hundreds of Shakespeare festivals around the states, and it doesn't have to just be a Shakespeare festival. I'm saying that no, as an umbrella for any literary, literary yeah, festival. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. But you could play anything like that, yeah. and you would be, you know, any kind of folk festival, anything like that. Yeah. Have you guys play in that? It's a no-brainer. <laughs> that would be a hope for you. I mean, you if you could, oh, definitely. You could if you could swing that, you would do it. Wow. What you said about Little Machine touring the states and doing the literary festivals—that yeah. would be sort of an ultimate aim for us. We would love to do that. Oh my gosh, we got to find a way to make that happen. Yes. That just seems Have like you got such a no-brainer. <laughs> I don't, unfortunately, but I'll try and find some. I mean, that just seems so easy to me. I, I don't know if that's what you envision. So I'm just going to ask you point blank. If you had a choice between continuing on in this company that you helped build or doing Little Machine full-time, what would you choose? And maybe you oh, can't answer that. I don't know. That's, that's a really difficult one to answer. You know, I, I, <laughs> I still have, you know, uh, not just a family and kids to look after. Uh, I've got my boys in the company as well who I care yeah. about, and I couldn't desert them and and just just become a nomadic museo again yeah. but by the same token if i could you know use my holiday allocation to to come yeah. out and and whiz around the colleges that would be just brilliant so how often does little machine play now oh it averages a, we do a gig i guess about every two weeks oh well that's not bad okay. yeah it's not too bad and it's, it's nearly always literary festivals or poetry festivals yeah, yeah. okay are you fine doing that, or would you ever play clubs or regular shows? If we could get an audience, yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that's the thing. I have played an awful lot of clubs in my time. It's a fairly unforgiving thing, unless you're very well known. And also, even if you are very well known, it's a loud environment where yeah, you use the power of your, your amplification to sort of overwhelm the crowd. Right. The sort of stuff that we're doing is very focused, we play very quietly, and it's all about the words. It's, you know, the poetry is the hero, yeah. You're right, I hadn't thought of that. Do you have to obtain any kind of right from the poets to... Oh, yes. You do? Okay, how does yes. that work? Oh, well, we, we call them up, and the copyright law is that the work remains under copyright until 70 years after the death okay. of the poet. So when we've done sort of more recent poets, like Dylan Thomas, for example, or T.S. Eliot, then we call up the publisher and say, will you allow us to do this? Now, Dylan Thomas's people were great. They said, oh, you know, give us 10 quid and you do what you want. The T.S. Eliot people absolutely refused. He said, no, you can't do that. Under those circumstances, can any of Elliot's work be set to music? And we said, well, what about Cats? You know, yeah. the musical Cats? That's right. all his poetry, right? Yeah. They said, well, that's an exception. You know, <laughs> well, of course, because that's made them millions. That's exactly, that's made them millions, yeah. <laughs> right, so, right. So, <laughs> yeah, those are my uh, principles, and if you don't like them, I have others. Oh, man. Well, okay, you sound pretty content with where yeah. your life is at these days. Right? Uh, yeah, I am very content. Oh, that's yeah. good. 
I'm so happy for you, Walter. I've always liked what I've heard from you, and up to this point, it was just that first King Swamp album. And I just always thought, man, this guy had it. Where are they? What's he doing? He deserves something. And so I'm really glad you're happy. Thank you. So there's a couple questions I want to ask, and these are kind of general ones that I ask most of my guests. You had a moment there, and it didn't last as long as you probably would have liked. You've managed to pick up the pieces beautifully, but do you have a regret when you look back on your career, any at all? Yes, I, I think I probably have many regrets, and I also have many things that I'm very thankful and grateful for. I think if I regret anything, it's probably not making the most of the situation that I found myself in at the time, yeah. of you know being in a situation where you're working with some fantastic musicians and touring with some great people and working with people like Bob Claremountain, and... Mm-hmm. Kind of just, oh, well, that's what we're doing today, instead of actually thinking, hey, you open your eyes, this is what's happening. Yeah. This is a fantastic situation, yeah. and getting more out of it. I wish yeah. I exploited those opportunities more, been more aware of them. Instead of, well, you know, back then, I was probably pretty self-obsessed and perhaps not as open-minded as I could have been. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, make the most of it. That's, that's what I would say. Okay. I wish I'd done more of that. Yeah. You, you probably didn't realize that you were playing the game as most people, millions of people sit at home dreaming of swimming in that pool and you were in that pool. Maybe not in like, you know, the heat of it all, but you were there playing along and maybe it just, you didn't get to see it as for what it was. No, Um, no, absolutely. Just kind of got swept along. Yeah. yeah, Swept along. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you look back then on your career, what's the best, most delicious memory that you have? And it could be anything from, King Swamp to Little Machine, anything music-related, That what's the best story, the best moment? Did you meet a hero where you were like, I can't believe I'm in the same room as X? What, was, what yeah, were those well, moments? Well, there, there were quite a few of those weird moments. I think meeting... Excuse me just a second, John. I, get, please do. I'm asking my wife, Jo, to remove the chicken from the barbecue. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're almost done. I'm trying to make it so you could get to your Oh, tickets. cheers. Um, yeah, meeting Paul McCartney and doing the mixing the second King Swamp album at a studio in London and through the wall hearing Freddie Mercury cutting backing oh. vocals on one of his solo tracks. No that way. was pretty good. Meeting Billy Idol was pretty cool. Playing a music convention in Florida and opening for Lenny Kravitz Whoa. and completely blowing him off. Just completely, really? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good for you, man. Just, just took it. That was a, a, a magic moment, yeah. Cool. Great. <laughs> well, good. So you got stories. Well, look, Walter, I'm so grateful you gave me some time. I've always been curious and fascinated by you. I love the music that I've heard that you've put out. It's brought a lot of joy into my life. And so I wanted to thank you for giving me some time to hear your story, tell your story, hopefully turn some people on. And just, I really, really appreciate your time. You're a good man, and I appreciate that. You're most welcome. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Walter. All right, there you have it, Walter Ray. Such a good, grounded dude. I really like talking to him a lot. And check out Little Machine. It's interesting stuff. It's so unique. And it's on Spotify. You can check it out and then support them if you can, by all means. 
I don't know if you picked up on something. If you're a regular listener to the podcast and you listened to last week's episode with Dr. Robert, Dr. Robert and Walter both mentioned the exact same two bands, Happy Mondays and Stone Roses, as having come along and changed the scenery in the music world at the same time, end of the 80s, early 90s. And, you know, I was thinking how interesting that was because we don't necessarily feel the effects of that in the States. For us, it was Nirvana. Nirvana came along a couple years after that and completely changed everything. But in the UK, the Stone Roses and the Happy Mondays were having a very similar effect. Interesting stuff. Those two are great bands as well, by the way, if you don't know who they are. Check them out. Anyway, next week we are talking to Pepe Castro. This guy has been around for 50 years. And he's been in like four or five bands that, you know, put out albums on major labels, a couple of them, but then didn't last very long or didn't completely break through. But wait till you find out. Pepe has sung or written like hundreds of commercial jingles that you would know, that you know by heart. This is the guy behind a lot of that stuff. Hugely creative, very nice guy. I'm excited for you to hear from him. He's very interesting. Huge thanks to Jan Makevich for producing this podcast. We owe him big time. He's a good dude, and I'm glad he's on our team now. Don't forget, write a review on iTunes. Get in there and do it. I don't care if it's good or bad. Just please, please do it. We're going to try and hit 100 reviews in the next couple of weeks. Thanks, everybody. Join us next week. Start.